I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle. I'm Kirsten. And this is part two of Sophia Likens. I think that was the fastest we've ever done our intro. Probably. <laughs> We're ready to be done recording. We need to get done. It's and late. It's like 8.30 at night, so... That's late for us. Yeah, we changed our recording time. We don't record on Sundays anymore. We record on Saturday nights. Yep. Saturday. We should do hmm. a special edition where we, like, drink a glass of wine. Oh, let's do it. Ooh. Oh, that'd be fun. Anyway. So, I'm going to just jump right in. If y'all need a recap, go listen to part one, but it's awful. Major trigger warning. Yeah. Like, not good at all. Mm -mm. We could barely get through it. I think we both almost cried. Left me with no words. Like, Like, literally, we were speechless. Like, couldn't even say anything. So, if you want that, go listen to it. Um, I do say where the trigger warning starts, so if you want, like... A bit of the backstory and then jump to this episode just so you can hear the court stuff because now we're going into the court proceedings um yeah that's it that's all i got okay so i'm gonna jump in let's go so on december 30th oh yeah girls beat it oh but in 1965 that was way before quite, I quite a few years before you were so born. the marion county grand jury returned first degree murder indictments against gertrude and two of her three oldest, Paula and John Jr. Okay. Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard were also indicted. Okay. And all were charged with having repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked, and inflicting a accumulation of mm-hmm. fatal injuries to Sylvia Likens with premeditated malice. Okay. Sorry. I don't know why that word just, like, was not in my brain for whatever reason. It happens. But three weeks prior to the filing of the indictments against the five defendants... God, I hate my list for right now. (laughs) Stephanie had been released from custody upon the writ of habeas corpus, which is a recourse challenging challenging the reasons or conditions of a person's confinement under color of law. So basically just saying, like, we're challenging what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Stephanie's attorney successfully contended the state and said they didn't have enough evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injury charges against her. Um, Stephanie waived her immunity from any potential impending prosecution while agreeing to testify against her family and any other individuals charged with abusing and murdering Sylvia. Okay. So, the trial of Gertrude, her children Paula and John Jr., Richard Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard all began on April 18th of 1966 okay all were tried together before judge rab at indianapolis city county building i forgot this happened in indianapolis yeah indy as we call it crazy literally like uh, we could drive there right now yeah (laughs) so initial jury selection began on this date and continued for several days the prosecution consisted of leroy k new and 
Marjorie Westner, who announced her intention intention to seek the death penalty for all five defendants on April 16th. And that's what they deserve. Mm -hmm. They also successfully argued before Judge Rabb that all the defendants should be tried together as they were ultimately charged with acting in concert in their collective crimes against Sylvia. And if they were tried separately, neither the judge nor the jury could hear testimony relating to the total picture of what happened. Okay. So each juror was questioned by counsels for both prosecution and defense, and that was in relation to their opinions regarding capital punishment and just their penalties for first-degree murder, and whether Gertrude was actually responsible for... Oh, no, I think that was... Her mother. Mm Mm-hmm. And whether Sylvia's mother was responsible for deportment of her children. Okay. So, jurors expressed, like, anybody that expressed any opposition to the death penalty were excused from duty by Leroy New. Okay. So, any that worked with children expressed prejudice against any insanity defense or repulsion regarding the actual horrific nature of Sylvia's death were excused also by defense counsels. Gertrude was defended by William Urbecker. Her daughter, Paula, was defended by George Rice. Richard Hobbs was defended by James G. Netter. And John Jr. and Coy Hubbard were both defended by Forrest Bowman. So they all had different lawyers. Okay. So the attorneys for Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, Paula, and John Jr. claimed they had been pressured into participating in Sylvia's torment, abuse, and torture by Gertrude. Mm-hmm. So they're saying... It's all Gertrude's fault. Well, yes, I mean, but not really. Also, they all participated. You also had the choice to say no and mm-hmm. to realize that it was wrong. Right. So Gertrude tried to plead not guilty. You know why? Reason of insanity. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Right. We're going to talk about some testimonies now. So, Deputy Coroner Charles Ellis testified on April 29th um, as to the intense pain that Sylvia had suffered, stating that her fingernails were broken backwards, numerous deep cuts and punctures covered much of her body, and that her lips were essentially in shreds due to her having repeatedly bitten and chewed upon them. Yikes. He further testified that Sylvia had been in an acute state of shock, for two to three days before her death. And Sylvia also may have been way, like in a way too advanced state of shock to like have any treatment in her final hours. Like yeah. it was already done. Like yeah. they, there was nothing they could have done. To fix her it. body was already shutting down at that mm-hmm. point. So on May 2nd and 3rd, Jenny, Sylvia's sister, testified against all five people. Um, she said they had all repeatedly and extensively physically and emotionally abused Sylvia and said that Sylvia didn't do anything wrong Mm -hmm. and there had been no like truth to the rumors that Sylvia had spread Mm -hmm. and oops that's wrong sorry on May 2nd and 3rd Jenny testified against all five defendants she had said they all repeatedly extensively physically and emotionally abused Sylvia and also said that Sylvia basically did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, even if 
like she was acting out. That's mm-hmm. no reason to treat her yeah. the, the, and beat her and torture her the way that they did. Right. She was just a child, dude. She yeah. was 16. A kid, a baby. Also, during her testimony, Jenny stated that the abuse her sister and she herself had endured actually began two weeks after they lived with your Gertrude. Mm-hmm. So, it didn't take long for them to get abused. Before she started. Yeah. And, obviously, the abuse with Sylvia continued to escalate and escalate and escalate. Mm-hmm. So, also, Sylvia could not produce tears because she was so dehydrated. Yeah. That's she sick. couldn't even cry anymore. Nope. That's so sad. Jenny burst into tears. She recalled how just days before Sylvia died, she had said to her, quote, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. End quote. I think we already said that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But. So, sections of Jenny's testimony were corroborated by Randy Lepper, who stated he had once witnessed Sylvia crying, but that she had shed no actual tears. Lepper also testified to having witnessed Stephanie strike Sylvia, quote, real hard after her mother had ordered her to remove her clothes in his presence. What the fuck? Yeah. So, he then visibly smirked as he confessed to having beat Sylvia between 10 and 40 separate times. What? How the fuck do you get between 10 and 40? So, if it's between 10 and 40, it's probably more like 40. Yeah. You're just trying to say a lesser. Yeah. And That's sick. Austin did this research, by the way. And he said, stupid fuck. Stupid 10 and fuck. 40? Question mark, exclamation, question mark, exclamation, question mark. Same. So, I on May, t- May 10th, a Baptist minister named Roy Julian testified to having known a teenage girl was being abused in Gertrude's house, even though he had failed to report the information to police, and he had been informed by Gertrude that Sylvia had made advances to men for money. He was under the impression she was being punished for soliciting. What the fuck? Yeah. What the Even fuck? then. Oh. Even, yeah, even then. That's, she's 16. Literally. You don't be a baby. A no. child. She's a child. Right. So, <sighs> same day, 13-year-old Judy Duke also testified, admitting to witnessing Sylvia once under salt being rubbed into sores on her legs until she screamed. Oof. She also testified to one occasion where she witnessed 10-year-old Shirley rip open Sylvia's blouse, to which Richard Hobbs had made the casual remark, Everybody's having fun with Sylvia. Ew. Literally. Ew. The next day, Gertrude testified in her own defense. She denied any responsibility for Sylvia's prolonged abuse, torment, and ultimate death, saying her children and other children within the neighborhood must have committed the acts within her home, which she described as being such a madhouse. What the fuck does she think? I mean, literally, what does she think? She thinks she's going to play the old lady card. No, honey, Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. That's what she thinks. No, honey. And then Austin says, your mind is a madhouse, lady. Um, She also added that she had been too preoccupied with her own ill health and depression to control her children. 
No comment. Yeah. <laughs> in response to questioning relating to whether she had physically abused the sisters, Gertrude claimed that although she had started to spank Sylvia on one occasion, she was emotionally unable to finish doing so and had not hit the child on any further occasion. I'm sure. I'm sure you are emotionally unable. I'm sure. And Austin put K. <laughs> she denied any knowledge of Sylvia having ever endured any beating, scalding, branding, or burning within her home. Okay. And then Austin just put a bunch of K's. K, 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 K. Yeah. Two days later, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense, describing how Gertrude had called Sylvia to the kitchen on October 23rd and stated to her, You have branded my children, so now I'm going to brand you. He testified Gertrude had begun etching the insult into Sylvia's abdomen before asking him to finish the task. Oh, but, but Gertrude never did anything remember right remember right although richard testified um about the branding that it had brought blood to obviously sylvia's like the surface of her flesh like they were cutting Mm -hmm. and branding so it was bringing in blood and that sylvia had begged him to stop he remained adamant on the section of branding he had inflicted had been light even though she was screaming to stop. And she was bleeding. And she was bleeding. But it was light. It was light. No, sir. He also said that he had initially believed Sylvia would not be at the Gertrude house on October 26th. As Gertrude had informed him she intended to, quote, get rid of Sylvia the day prior. Get rid of? Yep. What, her body? Just her. Her body. And her, like, chuck her body. Yeah. Get rid of. Well, that or just leave her somewhere to die. Yeah. He then said, after Sylvia's death, he had simply returned home to watch the rest of the Lloyd Thaxton show. Let me just go casually watch TV after, after the death of a sixteen-year-old girl that I had part of. Literally. So when Marie, which is, uh, Gertrude's daughter. She was called to the stand as a witness for the defense. She broke down and had actually had admitted she had heated the needle that Richard used to brand Sylvia's abdomen. Mm. And she also said, as to her mother's indifference to Sylvia's evident distress in relation to the physical and mental abuse she had increasingly suffered, with her mother's full knowledge, stating that on one occasion, Gertrude had sat upon a chair and crocheted as she watched a neighborhood girl named Anna Sisko attack Sylvia. But she had no idea this was happening, remember? She, like, she just didn't care. No she just idea. let anybody come beat on Sylvia. She's like, yeah, I'll watch while I crochet myself a blanket. Literally. She also said that all five defendants had repeatedly physically and mentally tormented, tormented Sylvia, and she had most often witnessed her mother and sister committing these acts before her mother had forced Sylvia to live in the basement where the abuse had further escalated and she had ultimately died. Another witness to testify on the behalf of the prosecution, Grace Sargent, 
stated how she had sat close to Paula on the church bus and had heard her openly bragging about breaking her own wrist due to the severity of the beating she had inflicted to Sylvia's face on August 1st. That's crazy. Um, she also testified that Paula had finished her boasting by stating, quote, I tried to kill her, end quote. That's really something to be proud of. Right. On May 16th, the court appointed doctor named Dwight Schruster, and he testified on the behalf of the prosecution. So, when questioned by Leroy New as, as to the interviews and assessments he had conducted with Gertrude, sorry, I need to know his first name because I'm not going to be able to pronounce that the whole time. Dwight. Dwight stated that she had been evasive and uncooperative. Dwight testified as to his belief that Gertrude was actually sane and fully in control of her actions, adding that she had been sane in October of 1965 and continued to remain sane to this date. Exactly. He also was subjected to over two hours of intense cross-examination by Gertrude's lawyer, William Urbecker, although he remained steadfast that Gertrude was not and had not ever been psychotic. Yes. Exactly. Let's go, Doc. Let's go, Doc. Austin. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about the prosecution now. They so, better all die. The prosecution? The defense better all die. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's what I meant. I was about to say, dang. So, Deputy Prosecutor Marjorie Wessner delivered the state's closing argument before the jury on the behalf of the prosecution. Wessner recounted the continuous mistreatment Likens had endured before her death, emphasizing that at no point had Likens either provoked any of the defendants or received any medical care beyond occasionally having margarine rubbed into scalded sections of her face and body. It's considered medical care? Yeah. Rubbing butter into your burns? I guess. Is medical care. Okay. So, referencing scientific forms and means of abuse and neglect at, obviously, all the defendants' hands and their collective failure to either help Sylvia or deter each other from mistreating her, Westner described Sylvia's abuse as stomach-wrenching mm -hmm. and compared her treatment at the hands of all five defendants as being the equivalent in severity to that committed against prisoners in Nazi concentration camps. What the fuck? Because it literally was. Yeah. Yeah. So, in reference to the premeditated nature of Sylvia's death, Westner pointed the jury's attention to the notes Gertrude had forced Sylvia to write on October 24th, stating, quote, Gertrude knew on October 24th she was going to hold these notes until she and the rest of the defendants had completed the murder of Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Holding a portrait of Sylvia taken before July of 1965, Westner added, quote, I wish you were here today with eyes as in this picture, full of hope and anticipation, end quote. So sad. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the defense, which nobody fucking cares. Yeah. No. So William Urbecker was the first defense attorney to deliver his closing argument before the jury he attempted to portray his client as being insane and thus unable to appreciate the severity of or criminality of her actions, stating, 
Quote, I condemn her for being a murderess. That's what I do. But I say she's not responsible because she's not all here. End quote. I agree with Austin's statement. He I said, hate lawyers sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Same. Urbecker then tapped his head to emphasize his reference to her state of mind before adding, If this woman is sane, put her in the electric chair. She committed acts of degradation that you wouldn't commit on a dog. She has to be crazy, or she wouldn't have permitted that. You'll have to live with your conscience the rest of your life if you send an insane woman to the electric chair. Send her on. Rest in turmoil. Insane or not, she fucking did that. Rest in turmoil. Bye, bitch. bitch. Bye, bitch. So, holding an autopsy photograph of Sylvia, Rebecca instructed the jury to look at this exhibit which I don't like, No. adding, look at the lips on that girl. How sadistic can a person get? The woman Gertrude is stark mad. Rebecca then referred to the earlier testimony of the psychiatrist who had called into question Gertrude's sanity before concluding his argument. Now we're going on to Forrest Bowman, who began his closing argument in an openly critical manner as he attacked the decision of the prosecution to seek the death penalty for juveniles, stating, I would like to have an hour of the jury's time to explain why 16-year-olds and 13-year-olds should not be put to death. George Rice began his closing argument by decrying the fact that Paula and the other defendants had been tried jointly. He claimed that evidence presented against his client did not equate to her actual guilt of murder. He then ended his closing argument with a plea for the jury to return a verdict of not guilty on a girl who had, quote, gone through the indignity of being tried in an open court, end quote. Like, she's being tried because she fucked up. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I agree. 16-year-olds and 13-year-olds should not be put to death. Yeah. Whatever. They're still minors. Mm-hmm. They do make mistakes. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But they also had a hand in this. Yeah. And should be punished to some it. degree. Yes. I don't think they should die, but Gertrude... No, yeah. Kick send her, her out she's to the old, electric she's chair. She's old anyway. She's done fucked up her life. For real. Bobbage. And at this point, when you're that old, you have... You don't want to change, so... No, yeah. She, for the most part. She, she knows what she did. Mm-hmm. She knows what she did. Mm-hmm. She's not insane. I'm so, <laughs> James Netter began his closing argument in defense of Richard Hobbs by referring to the loss of Sylvia, stating... She had a right to live. In my own heart, I cannot remember a girl so much sinned against and abused. And then he referred to Jenny's overall failure to notify authorities of her sister's abuse until she had already died, describing her as, quote, a sister who could limp three and a half miles to a park but couldn't take two or three steps out into New York Street to beg for help. So you're going to blame it on her sister? Another victim. You're, you're going to victim bl- blame. You're going to blame it on her sister for not getting help. When Gertrude said that she would do the same thing to her if she reported it. Because she saw what was going on. She didn't want that to happen to her. She didn't know what to do. She's a child. Mm, literally. So he ended his closing argument by requesting a verdict of not guilty, stating Richard Hobbs was, quote, guilty of immaturity and gross lack of judgment, end quote, but not the crime of murder. No, no, no. Yes, the crime of murder. Yeah. Leroy New rebutted the defense counsel's closing arguments by promising to speak through the mangled and shredded lips of Sylvia Likens. I see her wherever I look. 
New directly addressed criticism he had earlier received from Forrest Bowman in his closing argument regarding the prosecution cross-examining children, stating, quote, The prosecutor's job is to present the evidence to the best of our ability. Now let's look at some of the responsibilities here. Each one of the five defendants had first and foremost a responsibility to leave Sylvia Likens alone. We had the responsibility to bring all the evidence we could find that could explain this crime. All we hear is whining appeal, anything but blame where the blame belongs. He then speculated as to the reason that Sylvia did not try to escape from Gertrude's household prior to the abuse, increasingly escalating in the final weeks of her life, stating, quote, I think she trusted in man. I think she did not believe these people would do this and continue to do it. New concluded his closing argument by emphasizing the defendants' unison and their collective mistreatment of Likens before asking the jury to dismiss arguments made by various defense counsels regarding who may have actually inflicted the, quote, fatal blow to Sylvia's head, stating, quote, every mark on that girl's body contributed directly to her death, and that was testimony. The subdural hematoma was the ultimate blow. This is the most hideous thing Indiana has ever seen, and I hope will ever see. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what the, the final blow was. They, it doesn't. That's basically what he was yeah. saying, that it doesn't matter what the final blow was. They all each abused and her. Every, it, like he said, each and every mark on her body mm-hmm. is part of the reason she died. Yeah. So, he also stated that not a shred of evidence had been produced produced indicating any defendant was suffering from a form of mental illness again he requested the death penalty for each defendant stating to the jury quote the issue here is not about the electric chair or a hospital but about law and order we will shy away from the most diabolical case to ever come before a court or jury if you go below the death penalty in your verdicts in this case you will lower the value of human life by that much for each defendant the blood of this girl will forevermore be on their souls. End quote. Austin put, go off, King. Go off. Go off. So the trial of the five defendants lasted 17 days before the jury retired Dang. to consider its verdict. Wow. On May 19th of 1966, after deliberating for eight hours, the panel of eight men and four women found Gertrude guilty of first-degree murder, recommending a sentence of life imprisonment. Guilty! Paula was found guilty of second-degree murder. Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Jr. were found guilty of manslaughter. Upon hearing Judge Rabb pronounce the verdicts, Gertrude and her children burst into tears and attempted to console each other as Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard remained impassive. On May 25th, Gertrude and Paula were formally sentenced to life imprisonment. The same day, Richard Hobbs, Quay Hubbard, and John Jr. each received sentences of 2 to 21 years to be served in the Indiana Reformatory. In September of 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the convictions of Gertrude and Paula on the basis that Judge Saul Isaac Rapp had denied repeatedly submitted motions by their defense counsel at their original trial. From both a change of venue and separate trials. What? This ruling further stated that the circumstances regarding the prejudicial atmosphere 
created during their initial trial due to the extensive news media publicity surrounding the case, impeded any chance of either appellant receiving a fair trial. They were retried in 1971. On this occasion, Paula opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to serve a term of between 2 and 21 years imprisonment for her part in Sylvia's abuse and death. This is Paula? Yep. Okay. And despite twice trying to attempt to escape from prison, unsuccessfully by the way, she was released in December of 1972. So, like, barely a year later. Mm Mm-hmm. What? And she tried to escape twice and they still let the bitch out? Gertrude, though, was again convicted of her stray murder and sentenced to life in prison. Bitch. Yeah. Also put rot again, bitch. Rot, bitch. So over the course of the following 14 years, Gertrude became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Women's Prison. She worked in the prison's sewing shop. She was known as somewhat of a den mother to younger female inmates, becoming known to some within the prison by the nickname Mom. Ew. Yikes. Did they not know? Did they not know? They had to have known. When you go to prison, if you don't tell people, like, what you're guilty of, they'll find out. Yeah, bro. So, by the time of Gertrude's ultimate parole in 1985, she actually changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen. Which was a combination of her middle name and maiden name. And she described herself as a devout Christian, bro. (laughs) Why? (laughs) But you committed murder? Literally. Yeah. Austin said, sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds about right. So, news of Gertrude's impending parole hearing created an absolute uproar throughout Indiana. Uh, yeah. Jenny, Likens, and other immediate family members of Sylvia uh, protested against any prospect of her release. Like, they were like, fuck no. Do not let her out. No. The members of two anti-crime groups also traveled to Indiana to oppose Gertrude's potential parole and to publicly support Sylvia's family. Go off. Members of both groups initiated a sidewalk picket campaign. Let's go. Over the course of two months... These groups collected over 40,000 signatures from the citizens of Indiana. Let's go! Including signatures obtained from outraged citizens who were too young to contemporarily recollect the case. All signatures gathered demanded that Gertrude remain incarcerated for the remainder of her life. All right, Indiana. Let's go. I can back this. I'll get behind this. I can back this. You did something good. For real. (laughs) Within her parole hearing, Gertrude stated her wish that Sylvia's death could be undone. You dumb bitch, it can't be. She's dead. Literally. You killed her. Nothing can be undone about that. Although, again, she tried to minimize her responsibility by saying, quote, I'm not sure what role I had in Sylvia's death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. End quote. First of all... But you're not, because you're said, because I was on drugs. You weren't on drugs that I can remember. I'm pretty sure that was never brought up. It was never said, but it was... It was never said, but that doesn't mean that she wasn't. Doesn't mean she wasn't, but it was never said. Yeah. In original trial, so... Well, she could have never admitted to that. Yeah. 
but who knows and even if that was why wouldn't you bring it up then if you were going to use that as like right because she was trying to plead insanity right why wouldn't you bring up the fact that like oh i was on drugs or something right but then she wants to say i take full responsibility for whatever happened to sylvia uh yeah because you fucking killed her you dumb bitch Mm -hmm. you should take responsibility that's not noble of you literally you are not a noble person so unfortunately they don't say unfortunately yeah unfortunately they took gertrude's good conduct in prison into account the parole board voted in favor of granting her parole and she was released from prison on december 4th of 1985 i'm out i'm done following her release she relocated to iowa Austin said, you guys can have her, and I agree. She obviously never accepted full responsibility for Sylvia's prolonged torment and death, saying she was unable to precisely recall any of her actions in the months of Sylvia's prolonged and increasing abuse and torment within her home. She primarily blamed her actions upon the medication she had been prescribed to treat her asthma to treat her asthma bitch oh my god your your inhaler is what made you um crazy and killer yeah she's going i'm gonna kill somebody (laughs) (laughs) oh my god literally literally that's the dumbest shit i've ever heard so stupid she was on first first she didn't know what was happening and then she was depressed and then she was on drugs and now it's the asthma medication wait 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 so Gertrude lived in relative obscurity in Laurel, Iowa, okay. until her death due Die, to bitch. lung cancer Die, on bitch. June sixteenth of nineteen ninety at sixty one. Take that. Die bitch. Take that. Bitch. And I really hope she suffered. I really life. hope she's in fucking hell right now. Literally. So Burning regarding for the, all of eternity. <laughs> Regarding Gertrude's death and the issues raised pertaining to her sanity at both of her trials, John Dean, a former reporter of the Indianapolis Star, who had provided extensive coverage of the case, stated in 2015, quote, I never thought she was insane. I thought she was downtrodden, mean woman, end quote. Same. So, Gertrude's actual motive for tormenting and ultimately murdering Likens, attorney Forrest Bowman opined in 2014, Quote, she had a miserable life. What I think this was ultimately about was jealousy. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. End quote. Because Sylvia was, like, beautiful, very, very young, good-looking. I mean... Didn't have children, like... Right. She was, like... Gertrude had seven. Well-behaved. I mean... Mm-hmm. A model. Model So, teenager. after her 1972 parole, Paula assumed a new identity as well. She worked as an aide to a school counselor for 14 years, which I really don't feel like she should be around children. Um, at Beeman Conrad Lizcombe Union Witten Community School. Holy shit. And that was in Conrad, Iowa. She changed her name to Paula Pace in concealing the truth regarding her chem- criminal history when she applied for the position. Mm, so that's how she got it. And then she got fired in 2012 because they found out her true identity. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they were kind of pissed. Yeah. Paula married and had two kids, which she did not deserve. Nope. Um, the baby daughter that she had given birth to while awaiting trial in 1966, and she named after her mother, was later adopted. You named your baby Gertrude? And also, I'm glad that the baby was adopted. Um, because yeah, no. did not need to be raised by you. No, 
The murder charges initially filed against Gertrude's second eldest daughter, Stephanie, which was fif- she was 15, mm-hmm. were dropped after she agreed to turn state's evidence against the other defendants. So she got immunity. Mm-hmm. So prosecutors did resubmit their case against Stephanie before a grand jury on May 26 of 1966. The decision to later prosecute her in a separate trial never happened. So Stephanie assumed a new name and became a school teacher. She later married and had several children. She was last known to live in Florida. She would move to Florida. What's that supposed to mean? Don't ask. <laughs> Have you seen all the Florida man shit? Like, it's yeah. supposed to be a big meme, people. Yeah. It was a joke. It's yeah. a meme. Yeah, no, I, I know. So, in question to trial, uh, as to her motive for turning state's evidence, Stephanie stated, quote, I'm just here in the hope I can help anybody, end quote. And in response, her mother's attorney, William Urbecker, replied, including yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes. So shortly after their mother's arrest, the Marion County Department of Public Welfare placed Marie, Shirley, and James in the care of separate foster families. So they all got separated. And then the surname of all the children was legally changed to Blake in the late 1960s after their father re- regained their custody. Marie later married. Marie Shelton died of natural causes on June 8, 2017, at the age of 62. Okay. Dennis Lee Wright was later adopted. His adoptive mother named him Denny Lee White. I kind of like that better. Mm-hmm. He died on February 5, 2012, at the age of 47. Dang, he was kind of young. Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Jr. all served less than two years. In the Indiana Reformatory before being granted parole on February 27th of 1968. Hmm. Richard Hobbs died of lung cancer on January 2nd, 1972 at the age of 21. Dang. Less than four years after his release from the Indiana Reformatory. He died of lung cancer at 21? Yep. In the years between his release from Indiana Reformatory and his death, he is known to have suffered at least one nervous breakdown. Same. Following his 1968 release from the Indiana Reformatory, Corey Hubbard remained in Indiana and never even attempted to change his name. The fuck? Throughout his adult life, he repeatedly was imprisoned for various criminal offenses, on one occasion being charged with the 1977 murders of two young men. What? Although, largely due to the fact that the chief witness to testify at his trial had been convicted a criminal acquaintance of Hubbard, who admitted to have been in his company at the time of the murders, he ended up being acquitted. What the fuck? Shortly after the January 2007 premiere of the crime drama film An American Crime, Hubbard was fired from his job. And guess what? He died of a heart attack in Shelbyville, Indiana he on did. June 23rd of that year at the age of 56. John Jr., lived in relative obscurity under the alias John Blake. Mm -hmm. He became a lay minister, frequently hosting counseling sessions for the children of divorced parents. Why are all these people drawn to children? I don't know. Several decades after his release from the Indiana Reformatory, John Jr. issued a statement in which he acknowledged the fact 
He and his co-defendants should have been sentenced to a more severe term of punishment, adding that young criminals are not beyond rehabilitation and describing how he had become a productive citizen. He died of diabetes in the Lancaster General Hospital on May 19, 2005, at the age of 52. Prior to his death, he had also occasionally spoken publicly about his past, readily admitting he had enjoyed the attention Sylvia's murder brought upon him, and also claiming to have only ever hit Sylvia once. Hmm. The injury to person charges brought against the other juveniles known to have active known to have physically, mentally, and emotionally tormented Sylvia, which was Anne, Judy, Michael, Darlene, and Randy, were dropped. Um, Cisco, which was Anna, died on October 23rd of 1996 at 44. Randy Lepper, who had visibly smirked as he testified to having hit Sylvia on up to 40 occasions, died at the age of 56 on November 14th. Jenny married an Indianapolis native named Leonard Reese Wade. They had two kids, although she obviously remained traumatized. For the remainder of her life, Jenny was dependent upon anxiety medicine. And she unfortunately died of a heart attack on June 23rd of 2004 at the age of 54 in Beech Grove. I know where that's at. Wow, me too. (laughs) So 14 years before her own death, Jenny had viewed Gertrude's obituary in a newspaper. She clipped a section from the newspaper then mailed it to her mother with an accompanying note reading, Some good news. Damn old Gertrude died. Ha ha ha. I am happy about that. <laughs> Same. We all are. Yeah. Jenny and Sylvia's parents died in 1998 and 2013. In the years prior to her own death, Jenny had repeatedly emphasized that no blame should be attributed to her parents for placing her and Sylvia in the care of Gertrude, as all her parents had done was to naively trust Gertrude's promise. I agree with that. So the house where Sylvia was tortured and murdered stood vacant, obviously, for many years after her death, and the property property gradually became dilapidated. Although discussions were held about the possibility of purchasing and rehabilitating the house and converting the property into a woman's shelter, the necessary funds to complete this project were never raised, and the house was demolished on April 23rd of 2009 and it is now a church parking lot. What the hell? Um, in June 2001, a six-foot-tall, 1.8-meter granite memorial was formally dedicated to Sylvia Likens life and legacy in Woodland Park, Washington Street, Indianapolis. This dedication was attended by several hundred people, including members of Sylvia's family. The memorial itself is inscribed with these words, quote, this memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. As a result, laws changed and awareness increased. This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this safe city for our children. End quote. And there's a poem inscribed on the granite remo- memorial dedicated to Sylvia's life and legacy. It reads, I see a light, hope. I feel a breeze, strength. I hear a song, relief. Let them through, for they are the welcome ones. Mm-hmm. Sylvia Likens' death is credited with the adoption of Indiana's mandated report law, 
and with an increased understanding of investigation and recognition of abuse. The law states that should a member of the public suspect a child is suffering abuse or neglect, the citizen suspecting this abuse has a legal obligation to report the abuse to authorities. Mm -hmm. On October 26th of 2015, numerous Indianapolis citizens, including Sylvia's older sister, Diana Budwell, gathered in Lebanon, Indiana, to honor Sylvia, to reflect upon her life, upon the 50th anniversary of her death, and to honor all children who lose their lives to child abuse. At this memorial, Diana informed those present that Sylvia's legacy must always be remembered. Sylvia's tragic murder and abuse must always be remembered. Hmm. The Sylvia's Child Advocacy... I can't talk today. It's okay. Advocacy Center is officially dedicated to the memory of Sylvia Likens. Founded in 2010 in Lebanon, Indiana, and initially named the Boone County Child Advocacy Center, this nonprofit organization was renamed in Sylvia's honor in 2016 with the executive decorate, decorator director stating, the most important thing that we can do is tell kids they are hurt and we are listening. This was something no one did for young Sylvia. Her family is thankful, though. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. She did not die in vain. She died a horrific death, but because of that, we're hoping that another child can be saved. This Child Advocacy Center was formed with the objective to assist child victims of abuse and neglect to minimize the ongoing traumatic effects experienced as a result of their ordeal and to undertake a relentless pursuit to prevent child abuse, abuse both Boone and Montgomery counties. In both Boone and Montgomery counties. Guys, mm-hmm. I can't talk. It's okay. Professionals at Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center work in concert with both law enforcement and the local Department of Child Services. Staff also conduct forensic interviews and provide assistance with legal procedures as well as mental and medical health referrals. So you can donate to the organization and we'll have the link in the show notes. Thank you, Austin. Thank you, Austin. And Austin put Finn. Austin out. Austin out. Love that. He killed it. He really did. Thank you. So, go check out the organizations. I actually knew about that law that you have to report if you know about yeah. child abuse and everything. I did not know that was dedicated because of Sylvia, but and now I, I do. It's always better to um, overreact. Than underreact. Than underreact. Mm-hmm. If you think something is happening, say something. It would better off you be wrong than you not say anything and be right and then something really bad happens. For sure. I did not mean to smack my lips. I'm sorry. She said. Well, that's I'm glad. I'm glad some good came out of it. Me too. It was tragic the it way was. it had to happen, but we are, they obviously did lots of stuff with her death mm-hmm. and to change a lot of things, so. And they turned it into something beautiful. Something that could help people like her in the mm-hmm. future. And prevent things that happened to her. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I got for you, so... All I have to say is I'm glad Gertrude's fucking dead. She's a fucking bitch. Rest in turmoil. Thank you. Rest in hell, bitch. So, if you haven't already, go check out our social medias. If you have a case that you want to suggest, DM it to us. If you have a story 
also DM it to us or email. Mm-hmm. Email in the show notes. I will put the link to the organization in the show notes. <laughs> and all our social medias. Go follow those. Oh, leave us a review, a rating, and subscribe to us. Mm-hmm. If you liked us talking shit about Gertrude. I mean, she's a nut bitch. <laughs> and that's all we got. All right. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye.